The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. From Can Lions 2023, PR Week and Campaign U.S. in partnership with Day One Agency. Hi, everyone. I'm Allison Weisbrot. I am the editor of Campaign U.S. and I am with the Day One team. And we're going to talk a little bit about Can and a study that they just released about Gen Z. So why don't we kick it off with some introductions. Josh. Hey, everyone. I'm Josh Rosenberg, co-founder and CEO of Day One. Great to see you all and to be almost together here in Cannes. Eli. Yeah, from the other room, I'm Eli. Uh, Also great to be here. Uh, And I'll pass it over to Fred. Hi, it's Fred Cook from the USC Center for Public Relations. Unfortunately, I'm not in Cannes, but I'm in L.A., and it's a sunny day here, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Don't hide your excitement, Fred. It's okay. <laughs> so, Day One Agency, which was Campaign U.S.'s Independent Agency of the Year and PR Week's Outstanding Midsize Agency of the Year in 2023, is hyper-interested in reaching and influencing the next generation. So in wanting to delve deeper into how and why Gen Z consumes media, the agency recently partnered with USC Annenberg Center for Public Relations on a mobile ethnographic study called Ask Gen Z, a deep dive into Gen Z's scrolls. And the goal of the study is to provide information um, for brands on how they can reach Gen Z, whose intention is increasingly fragmented across all different corners of the internet, all hours of the day. So let's dive into the study a little bit. First of all, why did you guys commission this research? What were you trying to accomplish? So I think for us, our clients are asking us all the time, how do I reach the next generation? Where are they? How do we find them? And how do we really make an impact? And, you know, I think on the flip side of it, we see how the media landscape is continuing to change and evolve and how, you know, niche communities are really, you know, so important in terms of reaching the next consumer. So um, I'm on the board of Fred's USC Center of Public Relations, and we thought, what better place to go to than to the students themselves to really understand, you know, how is Gen Z getting their news? What actually does news mean to them? Um, so we worked closely with Fred and his team at the at USC to really craft a different kind of a study that could delve deeper into some of those habits because the world is changing um, so quickly. So, Fred, what made you want to partner with Day One on this study? Well, it's such an interesting topic, and and all of our students are in this generation, so it's important to us. And then secondly, we were interested in trying to do something different here. We we do a lot of surveys in the PR business, and we do a lot of surveys at at USC, but we thought surveying this generation wasn't going to be the way to go. So we created this uh, mobile uh, ethnographic study using a platform called DScout, and it allows us to communicate with these uh, people in the study on their mobile phones and ask them questions, give them surveys in real time. They can take videos. And so we get a real uh, one-on-one real-time sense of not asking them what they're doing, but seeing what they're doing and how they're using their phones to get information and and where they're going for for news and entertainment in, in, in a real-life situation. So it's a really interesting way to, to look at this group. I would also just add that I feel like a lot of the information that comes out around Gen Z, particularly in the marketing space, is you know, utilizing a lot of quantitative data and statistics, but humans aren't statistics. And I think that you know, this is a really way, this is, was a way to get a lot of nuance and context behind a lot of this behavior as well, which 
from our point of view is really is really important like these were really intimate uh conversations almost like a diary entry that we were getting insight into which is super valuable um from a marketing from a marketing perspective but also just you know really interesting to see up close and personal uh gen z's kind of media consumption habits yeah. So talk a little bit about how it worked, um, the mobile ethno- ethnographic approach. Had you ever done something like this before? And maybe what were some of your learnings um, just about how it works as a research method? It was the first time we had used DScout. And it's a, it's a very sophisticated platform. It can do all kinds of things. And it allows you to um, create a study Using this tool, you can ask, for, ask the people, the respondents, to do different tasks at different times. And so you can interact with them uh, on a regular basis over a period of weeks and ask them what they're doing at that particular time or what they're doing that hour. You can ask them to react to it on video or answer questions. So it's a, as, as Eli was saying, it's a really intimate way to, to engage with them. It's almost like you're in, in the room with them as they're going through their daily process of consuming information and, and watching them and reacting with them in real time. So let's dive into the results of the study. Um, Josh, what stood out to you? What was sort of your top line takeaway? I think my first one is the one around like there's a new prime time and it's all the time. I think, you know, in looking at how this generation is really consuming media, it's not at one specific time. And it really is all of the time, just the way they're scrolling, um, what they're scrolling and how they're even determining what to buy and when, like there's this whole idea of like the rabbit hole that a lot of them talked about how, you know, basically they'll be inspired by something, decide that maybe they want to purchase it or to learn more. And they just sort of click around um, doing more research as they go and as they sort of grow deeper into that purchase decision. And what they're finding along the way is a lot of, you know, recommendations from their peers or from other people that are not actually editors or sometimes they are influencers or creators, right? Sometimes they are editors. Um, Sometimes they're just, you know, random other users um, who have had this experience before. So for us, it almost was like, okay, this is really interesting. Like, the prime time, when you look what's going on at late night TV right now, right? It's all so different. The whole purpose of late night TV when it first started or was programmed was so that you'd have your TV left on right to ABC, NBC, or CBS, then go on and then turn it on the next morning and watch the Today Show or CBS morning. And, you know, this Gen Z today doesn't even turn on their TV. Um, that was also pretty apparent. So, you know, it's just interesting to us to think about, you know, we really do need to think about these micro moments and how do we reach consumers and this next generation through different places across the internet. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting that, you know, they're, they're getting their information, not necessarily from editors and, and trusted news sources, mm-hmm. but influencers and user generated posts and things like that. As a brand, how do you navigate those environments um, when you're trying to get your message across to, to Gen Z? Yeah, I think, I think it's probably multifaceted, right? I think they're definitely Look, you definitely need to build trust, right, with trusted voices, which are editors and influencers and other creators. But I think it's also thinking about what are owned ways um, that you can create to really be part of that rabbit hole. Um, And a lot of that does happen, you know, especially today on TikTok and using TikTok search prompts and making sure that you're part of the conversation that consumers can find you when they're looking to either buy you or experience you. 
Eli, what, what surprised you about the study? What sort of jumped out at you? I think what's jumped out to me, you know, I think we've been taught, we've been just discussing a lot around the recommendation generation, like Josh was mentioning before and more on that in a sec, but I think the, um, news diet as a whole, like what's news that's tricky, I think is super topical just as kind of the news industry in general is going through some transformational changes. Obviously you're seeing a very turbulent cable news sector as a whole. Um, But I think that a lot of the successful outlets have been able to pivot to, you know, platform right voices or platform right formats, utilizing edit fluencers, right? Like trusted individual sources, um, to kind of convey these messages in general. So I think that's just really important as brands and news institutions look to build trust with the next generation. Like they really need to think outside the box in that way. Um, and, you know, prior to this recording, Josh was mentioning that we saw the CEO of the Times uh, speak with Axios's media editor, Sarah Fisher. And a lot of what she was talking about is, editorializing news, not necessarily in the sense of sheer opinion, but making sure that, you know, readers have a relationship and forming a parasocial relationship with anchors and writers. And I think that's really important to the next generation who maybe don't trust kind of faceless institutions or who are maybe kind of shirking recommendation algorithms. So I think that was something that I think, you know, connecting those dots was really interesting to see. Yeah, you can see the Times doing that, right? Like with their food writers and their games writers. And so it sort of makes you, it does have like build that same sort of relationship that you would have with an influencer. Yeah. Just to add on that, like um, Meredith was saying from the Times that the reason why they bought The Athletic was for that reason, because sports is such an engaged audience with real reporters that have real opinions and real knowledge. And that was really a way to, you know, bring in part of the next generation and just continue to make the New York Times a destination um, for news and information. Mm. Fred, I'd love to hear from the educator perspective and just sort of representing the students who took the study, what jumped out at you? Well, it's so interesting these days because um, in one of my classes, I ask people to do something that they've never done before. Every week, they have to go out and do something they've never done before. And one of the students came back one week and said they read a magazine. And I thought, (laughs) what? She said, I read a magazine, and I never read a magazine before. This is a graduate student in college. And it happened to be one that was just delivered accidentally to her house. She didn't even go out and buy it. And, and it, makes you, it makes you think that because this generation is not reading magazines, they're not watching television news, and they're not reading the newspaper, that they, they have no idea what's going on. And that couldn't be further from the truth. They are extremely well-informed. They're probably better informed than their older generations but they're not getting the information from the same places that their parents did. And I think that's just fascinating that you can know as much as they do about what's going on in the world, whether it's sports or entertainment or politics, without really having any contact directly with uh, the media sources that we're so used to. And as Josh said earlier, they're finding out a lot of information from their friends. And, uh, and from other people. And, that's, and that information may go back ultimately to the New York Times at some point, but it's not necessarily, um, they're not interacting necessarily with that particular publication. So the, it, I think that's a fascinating phenomenon is how people can be informed without interacting with the people that are providing the information. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's certainly different than than previous generations, even even millennials, I think. So one thing that jumped out at me is just sort of the conflicting nature that Gen Z has with the internet and with social yeah. media. Um, one thing that respondents expressed was the desire to have a healthier and more mindful relationship with social media. But, th- but at the same time, they also reported loving getting lost in rabbit holes and scrolling their feeds for hours on end. So as a brand and as a media provider, like how do you how do you navigate that sort of conflicting stance? I think probably it's having content in the right places with the right audiences so that when this generation is seeking out that information, it's there for them. I do think that there is sort of this exhaustion of just scrolling. Like you see that with, you know, the quote unquote return of the dumb phone, you know, or just the idea, you know, one of the questions that we asked in the quantitative survey was like, how do you feel after you get your screen time report? And, you know, people, a lot of it was basically showing that just sort of this indifference, like how they realize that they're scrolling for hours, but they also know that sometimes it does bring them pleasure and sometimes they're panicking around it. So I think it really is about having the right information in the right places so that they can almost find it when they want it. I know you like being a Gen Z or if you have any other perspective there. I think just being intentional with where and what um, and how you're trying to convey a message or the story you're trying to tell. And I think that like being the loudest in the room doesn't always mean that you're saying the best thing or that people should listen to you. So I think Gen Zers, and not to, not that it's an entire monolith, but at least from gauging from this study, want a are seeking out a healthier relationship with their screens, with technology. And I think brands can start to kind of be that conduit um, to do that. I think Be Real was on the right track, just probably couldn't innovate that enough, but kind of a ritual, like ritualistic social. And that sounds worse than it is, but, you know, having these set times where you tuned in and then you could come back later. I think, you know, it was so popular, at least in the first few months um, when there was huge demand for it, because it was like, okay, you're on this thing for a set amount of time and then it's done. You put your phone down, you try not to think about it again. Um, So I think that is you know, gone too soon, uh, or TBD, but kind of, uh, indicative of that desire. And I would just add, um, in the same class, when I ask people to do things they've never done before, they often do digital detoxes where they'll go without a phone for 24 hours or they'll turn off all their social media channels for uh, a, a weekend. And it's really difficult for them to do. It is a, a big challenge. But they do it and they feel much better. So they're very aware of how much time they're spending on their phones. And they realize that it's not, not healthy. But it's hard not, to, it's hard not to do it. They have a hard time doing that. It's, it has to be very, as Eli said, very intentional in order to, um, to, to sort of avoid that phenomenon. Yeah. Another interesting um, trend that stood out to me in the study is that, like I think all of you have alluded to it, in this, in this podcast is the recommendation generation and how, you know, in addition to user generated content, uh, Gen Z is very, um, they, they have things curated for them, right? Like they're not necessarily seeking things out themselves in the same way that older, other generations had to, how is that impacting their media diet and also how they define like what is news? I need that one to Eli because I feel like you spent a lot of time <laughs> listening, especially to a lot of the verbatims. And I feel like you found some rich stuff. 
Yeah. Um, so I think we kind of found this red thread that Gen Z are slightly their own editor in chief. Um, and yes, I think recommendation algorithms play an important role, particularly on platforms like TikTok. I mean, every social platform or internet platform for that matter uses a recommendation algorithm. But I think back to this intentionality that there is a desire to kind of seek out things outside of being assisted by an algorithm that might interest you. So for example, there was a, there was a recent Reuters studies that kind of backs up some of this, uh, research that said over half of users, um, 60, 65% of users under 35. So slightly tilting older here, but I think still relevant and indicative of a larger trend, uh, try to influence the algorithm selecting news for them by following, unfollowing and muting or blocking certain sources. So kind of two birds, one stone. So like algorithms can cause anxiety back to the pleasure and panic of the feed, but also your own being your own editor in chief. And I think there's so much noise and so much to pay attention to now, or people are telling you to pay attention to. So I think just seeking out sources or platforms or communities online that can distill and kind of be sense makers um, is really desirable. We did a separate study about corporate reputation and we asked people what sort of stories or what, what would influence your opinion of a company. And the number one choice by investors, consumers, everybody, especially young people, were online recommendations. And much more so than what the media is saying and even what influencers are saying. These online recommendations like at, um, Rotten Tomatoes or you can choose a movie, buy a product on Amazon, choose a destination you're going to go to. We can get a score, a recommendation for everything we do in life now. And that's, I think, a really important part of the decision-making process for Gen Z is finding out what other people think. And if and they don't care what the critics think. It's like on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is not nearly as important as what the other people think. I think that even goes to like, you know, your question really about brands. Like that's why they need to really, you know, create experiences that people do want to positively advocate about, right? So that, you know, it sort of is, it appears in that rabbit hole when the next generation is posting about what they're doing and tagging you know, that good or sometimes a bad experience, right? And Reddit's whole activation at CAN is around Reddit recommends, um, which is totally geared towards, you know, user-generated recommendations and community forums and comments section. And they had some really yeah. interesting stats that 90% of U.S. Redditors trust peer reviews over influencer marketing. So really forming those intimate relationships to kind of influence a purchasing habit or an editorial habit, um, something along those lines. So yeah, I just, that instantly caught my eye. And it's not something that PR firms are particularly used to doing. We, we're, we're used to getting media to say nice things about our clients, but we're not uh, adept at getting consumers to do reviews positive reviews about their products and their company. So it's a real opportunity, I think, for public relations. Yeah, and I think it's way more powerful when you can have someone who is not being paid or influenced by the yeah. brand in a monetary sense, whatever it may be, to talk about your brand. Like that is the most powerful thing you could have in advertising I think, as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I think, Fred, your point about it being an opportunity for PR is super interesting, right? I think that there's all these sort of like traditional ways that media relations happen, but if people are being more influenced by what other, what their peers are saying and recommendations and reviews, like then that's where 
PR should be, you know, it's fertile ground to, to play in. I would also say that a great way in is just through listening, right? Like the conversation's happening already. So good brands should be listening and even finding the consumers and reaching out to them where, you know, they do need to sort of amplify some of those positive reviews. Mm-hmm. So Eli, you mentioned the Reddit recommends activation in Cannes. Three of us are in Cannes right now at the Cannes Lions Festival. What in terms of the work has stood out to you so far through this lens of like reaching Gen Z in an authentic way? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that this has been written up in a couple different pieces, either by juries or media talking heads. But I think there's less of a focus on purpose. I think last year, was my first year and the first year following the pandemic, there was still kind of uh, remnants of bringing people together in a time of need and forming community in digital spaces, et cetera. And I think there's now a bigger focus on levity and humor. And I think that's also because Gen Z have, they know a bullshitter, sorry, (laughs) excuse my French, although we are (laughs) in the Riviera. Um, But I think they, they're tired with, at least from my perspective, with kind of purpose washing and drowning out a message in something that feels super inauthentic. And I think it's really easy to see that now. So what stood out to me are really clever campaigns that lean into humor, that lean into an if you know, you know insight. And I think those are the breakthrough brands that are leading with, you know, memes um, and jokes that you don't, they may not appeal to everyone, but if you can appeal to a small but really strong and fervent following that's really all that matters if you're speaking to everyone you're not really speaking to anyone i would agree with that wholeheartedly and i think just the increased presence of creators and creator networks and just you know how to me it just seems that even though we've as pr agencies and creative comms agencies always been you know thinking about creators and working with them i think it sort of feels like the larger marketing ecosystem is really focused on, you know, creator, creator, creator. And I think you can see that all across the um, Quasset this year, which I find, you know, very interesting, but also makes me think that what's next? Um, Creators will continue to create and be a great voice, I think, for brands and for brand partnerships. But, you know, you want to make sure that they're not getting too overexposed. Well, what do you think is next? Great question. I don't want to use the two letters that everyone is talking about here. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I think creativity, like honestly, we are at the Festival of Creativity. And I think if we can continue, and we've done this as an agency, and we're going to continue to do that, is to focus on creativity um, that will help us get and navigate what's next and hopefully continue to be ahead. Because I think, you know, having a creative mind really does help you sort of deal with this changing media landscape each and every day and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow um but i think if we're creative and continue to look at things from different angles we can continue to sort of forge ahead if that makes sense sorry that was a non-answer answer but i didn't want to talk about ai yeah no, I hear <laughs> i'm happy to talk about ai but like that's what everybody is talking about here so i tried it to really get- is yeah. all anyone can say 
Um, well, thank you all so much for chatting with me. It's a super interesting study. Um, I recommend all of the listeners to reach out to day one and, and get your hands on a copy. Where can listeners find the study? Can they download it? Uh, yeah, they can just go to dna.com slash perspective. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you all so much. And I hope you have a fun night ahead. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, Fred. Good to see you. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.